It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody could ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. And welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as various podcast platforms. We'll get to that in a second. Here's Joe Judge. You're all in, Coach. Okay. Hey, guys, how's everyone doing today? So we uh, we shifted our preparation over today, obviously, in Philadelphia. We're full speed on Philly. Today will actually be a walkthrough practice. We're going to take the time today to kind of get our guys moving on a lot of the install that apply early downs and get into some third down stuff, get us to jump on that, and tomorrow we'll be on the field full speed. And have a normal Friday. That's the plan for the week. Uh, you know, obviously dealing with Philadelphia is a division. You take the records out of it. That's really irrelevant at this point. All that matters is, you know, competing against Philadelphia and playing our best game on the field. You know, I'd say in relation to the last game, to us, it's really irrelevant. The result of anything that happened last game, uh, all that matters is we learn from our experiences on the field and that we play a better game and a complete game as a team. But this is a, de- a different team. This is an improved team. They got a lot of their guys back off of injury. They're an explosive offense. It's one of the top defenses in the league. And obviously, Dave Fitt does a tremendous job on special teams. So we have a lot of respect for this opponent. Uh, we got to have a good week of preparation. We got to go make sure we execute on the field on Sunday for 60 minutes. That being said, I'll open up any questions you have. Lester. Uh, hi. Les Bowen from the Philly Inquirer. Uh, Joe, you, while the result of the last game might be irrelevant, uh, what did you learn from that? Uh, Doug Peterson noted uh, in his press conference today that you basically had him beat with five minutes left in the game. Uh, what do you think you need to do to to get that to the finish line this time? Well, the part that he referenced those last five minutes, the most important part in that game. We, we've got to finish as a team and play a complete team. You can't fall asleep on Philly. They're an explosive team. They do a great job in situations. We already knew this team's a very good team on third down in the red area in two-minute drives. They do a great job in terms of scheming you up in a game plan element. You know, Doug does a great job in terms of starting the game out fast, creating explosive plays and really finding things that you've struggled with and looking to expose them. So, you know, look, we've known this opponent for an amount of time. You know, it really just confirms what you know about them already, about how dangerous they are and how they can score at any point in time. And you've got to really play a complete game to finish. You've got to win up front with your offensive line, your defensive line. This team can run the ball very well. They can get after your passer and stop your run game with negative plays as well. So you've got to play good up front on both sides of the ball. Thank you. Okay. Hey, Joe, uh, with Evan, how much of an asset is it with him that you can play 12 personnel, but give it so many different looks so you can line him up so many different spots? Yeah, I think just because of his athletic ability actually creates, you can be in, you know, 12 personnel really is kind of like 11. You can be in 11 is kind of like 10 personnel. You can do a lot of different things with Evan. He's a guy that we've obviously used in some different roles throughout this season. Jason's done a good job of moving him around as a chess piece, playing him some in the backfield, flex him out wide like a receiver, and then playing him attached as a tight end. So, you know, have a guy like that on the field that you can do a lot of different things with, really kind of presents some issues to the, the other team at times. The biggest thing is really identify how they're going to play you within that game in your personnel sets. How are they treating Evan, you know, on a game-by-game basis? And that may change based on down and distance. You know, first and 10, if it's 12 personnel, you may see a lot of nickel defense right there, treating him more as a receiver. Whereas when it's third and short, you may see more base defense at times if it's 12 personnel to stop some kind of run game. So it all depends on who the opponent is and how they're matching up. But he's definitely a guy that has a lot of versatility. Nice show. Art. Hey, Joe. uh, What does having Logan and Jabril uh, essentially playing the same position but not necessarily playing similar roles do for your defense and kind of add to that versatility that you guys like, especially on the back end? Yeah, I think both guys, you know, really have different skill sets, but similar at the same time, if that makes any sense. Uh, their ability to really play different spots gives Pat a lot of flexibility and freedom in how he calls the defense, but then also how he designs it and adjusts it within the game. And I think that's probably one of the biggest strengths right now for us defensively is between Pep and Logan, we can make a lot of adjustments within the game because both guys are highly intelligent. Both guys really see it conceptually and know the game. And within a game, if they're getting a tendency on us, we can flip them in terms of responsibility or we could adjust something based on what they're doing game plan wise. It really helps us out. But both guys have been, you know, Pep has really improved this season in terms of playing a deep part of the field. He's really been an asset back there. You know, he's always been out playing the box. Logan's a guy that's had a lot of flexibility, whether it's playing that, you know, nickel position right there in the slot, whether it's playing, you know, free safety role or that strong safety role down the box. 
He's a good tackler. He's a savvy player. He's got good vision inside. So both those guys give us a lot of flexibility. Thanks, Joe. Of course. Hey, Joe. Hey, Paul. Hey, um, I would imagine you would agree that the best quarterbacks can be cautious and aggressive, really, at the same time. Uh, where is Daniel on that? <clears throat> excuse me, on that spectrum? Because you want him to be cautious and and be careful with the ball, but he's not making enough plays, really, offensively, aggressive-wise. So where is he there? Yeah, I would disagree with that, Paul. I think he's doing a lot of things aggressive. I think the way this guy stands on the pocket when the rush is collapsing on him at certain times or makes plays with his feet extend outside the pocket, the way he's willing to pull the ball on some of the zone reads and run downfield and take a big hit, I see a lot of aggressiveness in Daniel. And I like the way he plays. I know the team rallies around him right there. Um, you know, when it comes time to take our shots, we'll take our shots offensively. And sometimes we got to be a little more calculated about how we want to systematically move the ball down the field. You have to have a good balance of both within the game plan. You know, that being said, Look, I think Daniel's a developing player. I think he's showing a lot of promise. He's making a lot of gains this year. He's done a lot of really, really good things for us that have given us a chance to be competitive within games. And I see him improving on a weekly basis. And I love having that guy in the huddle right now being our signal caller. I know the team around him does as well. Okay, if you don't like the word aggressive, um, do you see any tentativeness in, in him at all when he's processing things in his mind that I don't want to make a mistake? No, not at all. Not at all. And I think he's really done a good job of, you know, sitting back and dissecting the defense at times this year and find the right receiver. And at the same time, when we go ahead and we put scheme type plays out there to isolate a certain player, he's done a good job as far as getting the ball distributed to those guys and make sure he gives them a chance to make a play with the ball in their hands. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Joe, I know uh, their personnel has changed a lot since the last time you played them. Uh, but in terms of your team, do you feel like you're you're a different team than than you were just a short couple of weeks ago when when you played this these guys? I feel we're getting closer and closer to what we want to be as a team, Tom. I think we're improving every week, and I see that, and the players see that on the tape when we turn it on there. Uh, we want our identity to be something that jumps off the tape at us when you watch it. There doesn't need to be volume on the tape for a reason. That's because all you have to know is what you see. So we turn the tape on, our players see it, they understand what they're doing, what they're improving on. We're also very transparent and very blunt about what we have to correct and make sure we get better on a weekly basis. But look, we, we've sliced up every which way possible for our players to show them you know, what we're doing well, what we have to improve on. Um, do I think we're a different team? I think we're an improving team. You know, I think we're an improving team. And I see strides made with all the players on a weekly basis. I'm very pleased with the way they come to work, you know, how they've already started off today and get on the field. And then we'll make strides today going forward. And then is it fair to assume that since they weren't um, uh, designated to return, that O'Shane and uh, McKinney are going to be on the other side of the bye? So we're kind of milking that a little bit right now, Tom, for being a walkthrough today. We'll actually take a look at these guys you know, with the trainers today and see how much strides they've made and if we think it's realistic to get them in the game this week. Because it's, you know, you get that 21-day window right there, Tom, to return. There's really no advantage of just pushing them back that day early to get them into a walkthrough when essentially they could get what they need in the meeting anyway. Zach? Hey, Joe. Um, with, with with Austin Mack, um, I've noticed that he's, like, not afraid to get into it with cornerbacks. Like, if they start shoving him, he, he doesn't back down. He's willing to get in there and block. Like, how – how much have you, is that something that like stood out to you when during training camp when you obviously didn't have preseason games to evaluate him? Like, was that toughness and willingness to not like really back down from anything? Is that something you, that caught your eye? Yeah, absolutely. He's definitely a scrappy dude. You know, I think, you know, one thing about Austin, I, I've kind of told him this directly. I mean, I've said, look, man, you're just kind of got to hangs around a lot and you make plays and you do things, you block for us, you're going to make tough catches, you're going to help us in the kicking game at different times. Um, he just keeps showing up. You know, he's a guy that at times he may not flash all the time that does something kind of, you know, that just jumps out at you. He just keeps making play after play after play, and he shows up on a regular basis. Look, for a young player, this guy's, you know, he's a smart player. He's an instinctive player. He's a guy that tight can take at any point in practice, and if someone needs to come out for a rep, he just throws him in that position. doesn't matter which one it is. He knows everything on the field. He's very aware of what's going on around him. He understands what his strengths are. He understands what he has to improve on as a rookie. I think Jason's done a really good job incorporating him in the game plan. But this guy's earned everything he's gotten so far, and he keeps coming to work every day and, and giving us reasons to put him on the field. Thanks. we got time for more and more. Lombardo. Hey, Joe. How's it going, man? Good, Matt. What's going on, man? Hey, um, just curious. You guys waived Corey Ballantyne yesterday. Just was wondering what went into that decision and, and why, in your estimation, that it's been kind of a struggle to get consistent cornerback play on the other side opposite of Bradbury. Uh, look, obviously, that's a challenging position. I see a lot of improvement from the guys on our roster. Uh, we've gotten a lot of improved play throughout the season. We had some things early on in the season we had to clean up and correct, and I think that's improved as we've gone. That being said, you're going to keep seeing top players across the ball from you every week. 
Uh, you know, it's the National Football League. There's always going to be good skill players to run routes and work to get open and good quarterbacks who are going to throw them open at times. So we've got to keep improving at all positions in the defensive backfield. But I see those strides every week, um, specifically to Corey. Um, we like Corey a lot. You know, uh, we have a list of roster moves we have to make throughout the season. Uh, we did what we thought was best for the team. Thanks, Coach. You're all set. Okay. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Coach Joe Judge addressing the media during his Wednesday session. And now we can officially welcome you in to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He's Paul DeTito. I'm Lance Meadow. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. Phone number 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Or you could use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You could directly interact with the two of us. I'm at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll recap what Joe Judge had to say. We'll get into some team news. And then, of course, we'll look ahead to the rematch with the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday at MetLife Stadium before we get to some of your feedback on the phones as well as social media. Paul, let's start with the transactions. Two things of note. Number one, this morning, the Giants began the clock for Tate Crowder as they were able to bring him back to practice. He had that big play against Washington in the first matchup where he returned the Kyle Allen fumble for a touchdown, then unfortunately got hurt. So he right now is in line, perhaps, to return for Sunday's game against the Eagles. And then what Joe Judge last addressed at the end of his media session, Will Hernandez is off the COVID-19 reserve list. But they parted ways with Corey Ballantyne to make room for Pettis, who they had brought in from the San Francisco 49ers. He, of course, had to go through the protocols before he could officially be added to the roster. So Pettis would be a guy that could contribute to special teams. And as far as Hernandez, even though he's now back, I wouldn't say that guarantees that he's automatically going to be inserted into the mix. Joe Judge the other day emphasized they're going to take their time in terms of easing him back in because he hasn't practiced in well over a week. Well, you also have to understand that as far as Pettis is concerned, he's coming into a new situation with a new playbook, a new scheme. It's going to take him some time to learn it. I mean, remember when Devontae Freeman got here and they had to slowly work him in because the last thing in the world you want is for a player to get on the field and wind up busting the play. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. So I don't think it would be at all surprising if they held off, you know, putting uh, Dante Pettis on the field uh, until the Cincinnati game after the bye week. I would agree with you there. I mean, I could see him, though, handle maybe a special teams assignment or two. I don't think that's crazy. I mean, I doubt they're going to put him out as a wide receiver, to your point. And remember, the Niners didn't utilize him much as a wide receiver to begin with. He didn't have a catch, and he had very few offensive snaps. And there's plenty of guys that are ahead of him on the depth chart. But if they're looking to maybe give the Eagles a different look as a return guy— I don't think it would be crazy to maybe throw him out there, given how prolific he was in college. Remember, he set an NCAA record for nine return touchdowns, was very dynamic in that regard, and he's shown some flashes of that with San Francisco. So if there's anything that we see on Sunday, assuming, to your point, he's active, I could see maybe a little special teams work here or there, but I would not expect him to be contributing on offense. Yeah, I, I think this, Lance, if they go in like they did last weekend with four active wide receivers – you know, you'll have Shepard, you'll have Slayton, you'll have Mack, and you'll have Tate. So I don't necessarily know that there's room for him in the offense because the Giants are always willing to use Ingram as a wide receiver if they want to, you know, a pseudo-receiver. They're also not shy about spreading out an empty backfield and sending out one of their running backs into the slot. They've done that with uh, Deion Lewis a number of times. And quite honestly, I think they're very happy with Peppers and Tate as their one and two punt return guys. And it's clear over the last couple of weeks that Deion Lewis is now their kickoff guy, especially since Corey Ballantyne has been cut. Yeah, Lewis took over Ballantyne a few games ago, and with Ballantyne out of the equation, it seems as if Lewis is the next guy up. I guess it just comes down to And Lewis to has Paul. done well, by the way. Let's not, let's not no, kill he ourselves. Has. He's yeah. looked very good. He did. He had a nice return against Tampa Bay. Remember, unfortunately, the Daniel Jones interception followed that 44-yard return, but I would agree with your assessment. He's given them a spark plug. I guess what I'm thinking about in terms of maybe inserting Pettis is if you think Peppers 
is solely a defensive guy, which he is, and he's getting so many snaps, you don't want to then expose him to maybe an extra hit or two. This way you work in somebody that's not a main offensive weapon from that standpoint. Well, that I, could be an option. I, and I understand that. I will say this. Uh, Peppers, to me, has really done a terrific job of handling those punt returns, and he's shown some explosiveness. I mean, consistently, he's averaging over 12 yards a punt return which, to be perfectly honest with you, is probably the best the Giants have had since Dominic Hickson. Uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, let me not discount Dwayne Harris. He was a better kickoff yeah. return guy than he was a punt return guy. And a good coverage guy, too. No question. Way. No question. But I really think they like what Peppers is doing back there. I think, I think they look at him as a weapon. And if you actually look at the Giants' special teams, Lance, and we don't give enough credit to this, and we should have, because we have emphasized how Joe Judge is a special teams guy. And Jeff Fiegel spent the entire offseason telling us how the Giants will look to win the special teams facet of the game every single weekend. And I think on most weekends, they've done just that. Their coverage units are really good, and their return game has been good, especially on punt returns with Peppers. Well, I'm just thinking back in terms of the first nine games thus far. The only bad play, Paul, that I could think of against the Rams where there was a notable return. I think it was, I want to say, Madre Harper in one of his first games made a key tackle to prevent what could have, who knows, been a return for a score. Outside of that, can't really think of one of those back-breaking plays where you would say, wow, the Giants really gave up critical field position because of a bad return coverage play. Yeah, well, on punt returns, the longest punt return they've given up all year is 12 yards. I mean, that's really good. Absolutely. And, and on kickoffs, I think that's the one you're talking about. There was a 41-yard return earlier this yeah. season on a kickoff return. But outside of that, I agree with you. I, I mean, you're talking about literally having to go with a microscope to try to find the mistakes or breakdowns they've had on specials. They've been that good. And as long as we're talking about that third of the game, let's also say that Riley Dixon has done a very nice job. And Graham Deneau, who was named NFC Special Teams Player of the Week, has been nothing short of outstanding. And you know what? Should we also throw in a, a bouquet to, to, um, to uh, the long snapper? Because Casey Kreider... Uh, has done a very solid job. I haven't seen any trouble with the snaps this year at all. Well, based on what we're discussing, it's always good news when you're not bringing up special teams on a weekly basis because that's the unit where you don't want to have to talk about because that's the facet that, given the background to the Giants coaching staff, and by the way, Thomas Begahey, I think, deserves a lot of credit too. Yeah. I get it. Joe Judge is a special teams guy, but the two of them, I think, are working very well in conjunction with one another, and McGahee did a very good job under Pat Shermer and deserves a lot of credit for that. It's been a consistent staple of this team when Paul year in and year out, it had been a weakness and it had been an issue for many, many seasons. So I think McGahee's arrival has coincided with them really straightening out special teams and it becoming a strength and no longer a question mark. So you could point to a lot of people that deserve credit. There's mm -hmm. no doubt about that. Gano, 18 straight made field goals going back to that 50-plus yard miss against the Chicago Bears. So he has been absolutely consistent. And you just mentioned the accolades that he's received. And you want that to continue. You don't want to be bringing up special teams for the Giants, especially when we've talked about with the offense and the defense. You know, there have been some ups and downs this season. And they're still working through those issues the last thing you want to do is now bring special teams up so I think the fact that they haven't had to worry about that has been a big positive and, and when you think about the upcoming opponent the Philadelphia Eagles you know they're extremely dangerous on special teams you know they have a lot of versatile weapons and as Joe Judge pointed out this is a team Paul getting healthy at the right time I brought this up yesterday when John and I were talking on Big Blue Kickoff Live and I think even Blake Martinez hinted at this when he spoke to the media following the Sunday win. This Eagles team is very different than the one they went up against, Paul, a few weeks ago, and it really comes down to personnel. Miles Sanders and Alshon Jeffrey are expected to return. I know we haven't gotten a practice report today thus far. The offensive line, they could have all of their main starters from week one back in the mix for the most part. Isaac Sayamalu, who was their left guard, he's been out since early in the season. He could very well return. Lane Johnson's getting back to full health. Jason Peters has returned. And as I mentioned, a lot of offensive weapons. So 
this Eagles team is somewhat unrecognizable compared to what we saw a few weeks ago. Yeah, it is It is a team that is certainly getting most of its offensive firepower back, and that's the dangerous part for this. Defensively, they're not much different than what the Giants saw three weeks ago. But offensively, this is going to be a much different team, which is why the Giants have to be especially careful. Remember, Carson Wentz had his only 300-yard game of the season against the Giants. In fact, I just got done uh, doing a segment with David Deal above the numbers for the MSG First and Ten show, which is going to air on Friday. And I brought up the fact that on first down, Wentz was 12 of 17 for 223 yards and two touchdowns. He absolutely shredded the Giants' defense, specifically on first down. That's where he was whipping the ball around and and finding guys to make plays. Now, the thing about it is he didn't even have a full arsenal that night. And this week, he's going to have. I mean, Sanders, think about this guy. He's averaging six yards a carry, Lance. He's second in the NFL amongst qualifiers. This guy is no slouch, okay? It was a big deal that he was not in that game in Philadelphia, and it's why Wentz had to rely primarily on the pass that night. Well, this kid is back. This, this, you know, again, I get it. The Giants are really good against the run. I'm not, I'm not disputing that at all. They're, they're a top 10 or top 5, depending upon which category you go by. They've done well against the run this year, but this guy is a challenge. Well, the other aspect is Sanders could catch the ball on the backfield, too. Sure he can. I mean, Boston Scott could do that. It clearly made a great catch on the game-winning touchdown in the first matchup, but it's not just what Sanders could do on the ground. It's the fact that you know you could dump it off to him, and then he'll get yak yardage after the catch. So that's what makes him extremely dangerous. I think another key weapon, you know, as we talk about some of the guys returning, and Richard Rodgers, if you remember, made two really nice grabs on yep. that last touchdown drive, but Dallas Goddard, it's not so much him as a receiver, Paul, as a blocker, he adds a new dimension to that offensive line. So you wonder, will the rushing attack improve now, despite how effective, to your point, the Giants have been against the run? You know, they're only allowing about 95 yards per game. They're a top-five rushing unit right now in terms of the defensive side of the ball. But now you add some more experienced tight ends into the mix. Does that make the Eagles more dangerous out of the backfield? I think that's something to monitor entering this game. Yeah, this, this is a more dangerous team because of the weaponry than the one the Giants faced three weeks ago, which is why it's such a shame that they couldn't snap that Philadelphia hex at at the link because that was a Philadelphia team that was primed to be beaten. And they were beaten with five minutes to go. And then the Giants coughed up what should have been a very, very important victory in a very cluttered NFC East. It is indeed. The Eagles are 3-4-1. and one. The Giants are 2-7. and seven, And nobody necessarily is separating, at least at this point, from the rest of the pack. And the Giants will be entering their bye after this week. The Eagles, of course, are coming off a bye similar to Washington. That's another big reason, by the way, why they're slowly returning to full health. And the Eagles, as far as pass protection, you know, one last point before we open up the phone lines. When you look at the numbers, and we talked about this in the first matchup, Philadelphia has surrendered 32 sacks. And that is the most in the the NFL, but I don't know how much substance I'm going to put in that number again, Paul, because once again, if you're going to tell me that Lane Johnson's back, who played, by the way, in the first matchup against the Giants, but he's been in and out of the lineup. If you are returning Isaac Sayamalu at left guard, that means Peters and Sayamalu in all likelihood are going to be left tackle, left guard. Those are your two main starters. Then you're going to have Jason Kelsey, who, knock on wood, hasn't missed a game yet. He's the only guy that's played at his position every game. Lane Johnson at right. And then Matt Pryor or Nate Herbig could be at right guard, but both of those guys are very much experienced because Herbig has started every game. It's just been at left guard or right guard, and Pryor has very much been in the mix, too. So this is going to be their first game because week one, remember, they were banged up when Washington feasted on them, where the Eagles are going to be able to rely on their main weapons. So if you're going to point to, oh, well, Philadelphia's had problems at pass protection, I don't know how much I'd point to that entering this game if most of the regulars are back in the mix. Well, to illustrate exactly what you're talking about, in seven of their eight games, they've allowed a minimum of three sacks. But what does that really tell you? Well, not a lot when you consider they have put out their seven different starting offensive line combinations over the first two months of the season. Is it any wonder that they've had a lot of trouble? 
Not at all. I think that spells it out beautifully. I believe it was either week three and week four or week four and week five, which was the only two weeks where they actually had the same five guys on the offensive line. It's been my favorite term, a game of musical chairs, and it hasn't treated the Eagles too kindly. As far as the flip side, the Giants offensive line, and we alluded to this off the top, Paul, Shane Lemieux has been in place of Will Hernandez the last two games. It's possible they mix and match guys, but I would expect Lemieux to be the guy that starts out, and if they feel Hernandez gets enough practice this week, maybe they slowly ease him in, but I don't know if Hernandez, even if he gets a few practices in this week, is automatically going to be reinserted into the starting gig. Well, I think his conditioning is going to be the real issue. I mean, Joe Judge has told us that you know he was doing a lot of running around in his backyard while he was on the COVID list. You know, but that's not the same as practicing with your team and going through all the things that you have to go through. So, number one, it's going to be his conditioning issue uh, because they need to figure out, okay, is he football ready even after only a couple of weeks? Remember, he was fighting some illness. We don't know specifically what kind of symptoms he had or how serious they were, but he was under the weather. He was not 100%. So, it's not as easy to say, well, you know what, he just took a couple weeks off and now he's going to get right back in there. No, he, he was not, he's not fully, fully where he's supposed to be. There was some, some uh, loss, if you will, of, uh, of some of the athleticism. So what you have to figure out is, A, is he safe to put out there in terms of, obviously, the, the virus is gone because, you know, he's off the, the protocol, but can he physically you know, match up with the physicality of what's in the trenches for a full 65, 70, 75 snaps? Chances are no. I would I would suspect that if, if Will Hernandez plays this Sunday, uh, Shane Lemieux will see enough playing time where it's not going to be a cup of coffee. I, I think he would see more than that because I, I just I – just, my guess is telling me that Hernandez is not prepared to play 70 snaps, Lance. And I'm completely with you. That's why I'd be a little bit surprised if they throw him right back into the fire. You are listening to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you. We are setting the stage for the rematch between the Eagles and the Giants coming your way Sunday at MetLife Stadium. Also, chiming in on some of the latest news related to the Giants in terms of their transactions. Let's open up the lines at 201-939-4513. And we check in with Dan in the Poconos. Dan, what's happening? Good afternoon, fellas. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Hi. How we doing, Dan? What do you got for us? Hey. Well, I got two things. The second thing, you might not like it too much, but I appreciate you listening. Um, the first thing is, I mean, I love, I love every caller that calls in. I mean, these Giants fans and they're my people. I mean, I bleed blue just as much as anybody else. But we can't, uh, we can't play Washington every week, you know. Now, whoever thinks that, you know, we're going to beat Philadelphia, I mean, you got to have rocks in your head, okay? The Giants could be up by when, – when just two weeks ago, whatever, when we played them, there was no way I felt confident at that, whatever, five or six-minute mark, we're up by two scores. I did not feel comfortable at all. I told my wife, watch, watch what happens. And lo, lo and behold, what happened, right? I don't think there's ever been a team, at least I can't think of, who's owned another team – more than the Eagles own us. And until we do something, and it sure as hell ain't going to be this week, that's just going to continue. It doesn't matter if they're new players, old players. It's just, it's just the way it is. It's disgusting. I hate it, of course. But that's just the way it is. So, so and, the, and the, the, the 21 out of 25 really bugs you, doesn't it? <laughs> I get it. Yeah, a little bit. I a get it. Bit, it's Paul. okay. You're allowed to be upset about it. Yeah, I mean, someday we'll turn it around, you know, and, and I would so much love it to be this Sunday, but, you know, come on, man, I don't think we're going to do it. But anyway, so I appreciate you letting me vent a little bit about that. I mean, I love those fans saying, you know, but but come on, come on, guys. Now, the other thing that you're probably not going to like too much either is just I won't, I won't go on a tangent on this. Just give me about 60 seconds. Our friend from Maine, okay, Everyone loves knocking him. Oh, Charlie, he's an idiot. You don't know what he's talking about. The only thing that I disagree with him, and, it, and you can't say it's fact or not, because the jury is still out on Mr. Jones. I'm not He showed so much promise at times, as we all know, but he also has got some hang-ups. So 
other than that, I mean, I think it's kind of the way you guys always get on him and, and just, like, dismiss him like he's a knucklehead when he's been for so many years all the money with the, with the offensive line. And, that, you know, it's looking better now, finally. But, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm, I'm not his lawyer or anything. I'm not an advocate for Charlie, but I just think it's a little unfair the way the man's treated We'll, we'll, well, we'll, I, I we'll think get your phone number because ahead, Charlie needs Paul. an agent. He's looking for somebody to represent him, so we'll get your phone number. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you guys can have Zoom meetings together, Dan, if you feel that strongly and appreciate the phone call. I mean, the bottom line is, if he's referring to Charlie's call from yesterday, Charlie was essentially repeating everything that John and I already rehashed. So it was getting to the point where are you listening to the program or are you just calling in to hear yourself speak? So that was number one. Number two, nobody on this program of all the hosts has ever denied that Daniel Jones still needs to work on improving his decision-making and the turnovers. So, you know, this narrative that Daniel Jones is a finished product and there's no work to be done is just foolish to even bring up because nobody here has ever said that. So nobody's disagreeing with that sentiment. And then the other thing, Paul, that I want to bring up with respect to the offensive line, and I don't even know why I'm going down this road because I'm making too much of what Charlie said, but the bottom line is Charlie's also called up and has argued that the Giants should be signing veterans like Will Beatty to bring back instead of playing the young guys. And what have the Giants been doing this year, Paul? They've actually been playing the young guys and giving them opportunity to develop. So he has actually not promoted that, Dan, by the way, if you've been listening closely to him. So let's not pat him on the back too much as we enter week 10 here in the yeah, NFL. Very true, Lance. And by the way, the game in Washington last week, I know it looks bad when you say the Giants allowed five sacks, but two of them were because Jones stepped up in the pocket and ate the ball. And that's exactly what they want him to do. They don't want him to recklessly force a throw downfield if it's not there. They'd rather have him eat the ball and take the sack or throw it into the third row, if you will. But, you know, I remember when, when Eli would take those and people would get all upset and say, no, no, why is he doing that? He, you know, he doesn't, he's not moving around in the pocket. He's holding the ball too long and he's taking sacks. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, but that's the smart play most of the time. And now Daniel Jones is finally starting to figure it out as well. So that's actually a good thing. Even though it looks bad on the sack chart, it's really the prudent thing to do. Well, it's basically getting to the point where you're not trying to make something out of nothing and you're living to see another down. I think that was apparent against Washington. There's no doubt about it. Speaking of the decision-making of teams and going back to that first matchup, one thing I wanted to bring up, I look at, the box score from the first game, Paul, and the one number that I don't think enough people are looking at, which to me is something that the Giants need to clean up, the Eagles had eight opportunities in the red zone, Paul. Technically seven, because let's face it, that final possession where they recovered the Daniel Jones fumble, they didn't do anything with it. They basically took a knee and ran out the clock. So let's go with seven. That's seven chances in the red zone. They only walked away with three touchdowns. Remember, one, they had a missed field goal. There were a few turnovers, a turnover on downs. The bottom line is that's not going to happen all the time where you have a team that gets it to the red zone seven times and you're going to hold them to just three touchdowns. So the Giants, I think the goal in this game is to prevent the Eagles from getting those explosive plays. That's number one. That was a big reason why they came back. But, you know, to shore up, some of the defensive assignments when you get into those close quarters because the Eagles made it count late in the game, but early in the game, I think a lot of it was somewhat of Carson Wentz's decision-making as opposed to perhaps what the Giants did. You know, I'm going to flip this to the other side of the ball and give you a stat that you just absolutely love to chew on, Lance. You're really going to appreciate this one. The Giants were only 3 of 10 on third down in that game, and did you know their average distance to the sticks – on third down was 10 yards. That is absolutely unacceptable and unheard of. Is it any wonder they were only 3 of 10? They did not even run a running play on third down. They were 3 of 10, all passing plays, and the average distance to get to the sticks was 10 yards apiece. That is something that you've been harping on now. You love to, to, to do your numbers, and it's not, a, it's not one of the charts that I keep, but yards to the sticks. And that night, it was about as bad as it could be for the Giants. They can't afford to have that again. And it was also a game, by the way, that they were plagued by penalties, not so much on offense, 
but they had nine penalties in that game, and that was a season high. Six of them, remember, coming on defense. So between that for the defense and, to your point, the long down and distance on third down, those are two things that need to turn around if they want to finally solve this riddle known as the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app and podcast platforms. Giants fans, a reminder, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Let's head back to the lines. Joe is in Pennsylvania. He joins us. What's happening, Joe? Hey, hi, guys. Uh uh, let me first ask you about that uh, uh, receiver we signed from the 49ers. Did we take him off his their practice squad? or No, was he was cut? waived. He was, was cut. He waived? Yeah. Uh, okay, what's his size and speed, Lance, you know? Well, he's 6'1". 195, in, I think. In yeah. terms of his weight, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I sort of surprised what Ballantyne not even going to be able to make our uh, – practice squad then I sort of think they sort of gave, gave up on him you know it's that's sort of a surprise with his size well, it's there. possible they could bring him back I wouldn't rule that out remember there's a lot of yeah. movement in transactions yeah. just because he passes through waivers and doesn't come automatically back to the Giants yeah. doesn't mean that it's not something they can look at down the road remember Corey Coleman came back and not many people yeah. were anticipating that either Joe I would yeah. only say this over the two years or a year and a half that uh Ballantyne has been with the Giants what I saw as a rookie, he really lost a lot of his confidence. And then when they moved him inside into the slot, it just began to snowball and right. got, got a, to be a, become a bigger and bigger problem. Now, this year, they worked him back outside, which is where he belonged in the first place after you know being miscast last season. And I just did not see any assertiveness or confidence in his play. Even on his kickoff returns, you know, he was okay, but... We see Deion Lewis is much more effective. So when you consider that he hasn't shown the confidence or assertiveness to hold down a corner spot, Ryan Lewis has actually been the most effective corner, and I believe he's going to be healthy enough to play this weekend. So if that's the case, then Ballantyne really doesn't have a spot on the 53 because he's lost his kickoff return duties, and really he hasn't shown the confidence and assertiveness that a defensive back needs to play snaps in the NFL because any DB who doesn't have confidence is a DB that's going to get burned. Just for clarification, Paul, you weren't referring to Ryan Lewis playing this week because he's on IR, remember? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I just apologize. wanted to clarify that. He, okay. he, he, he has been, of, of the corners they've tried over there with the musical chairs that Lance likes to refer to, he's been the best one. He's been yeah. the best one. I anticipate him being back for the Cincinnati game. I, you're, yeah. you're right. Uh, miscalculation on the Yeah, league. no, after the bye, it was just unfortunately he's yes. still got to sit out three games because yeah. of going on but IR. He's, he's, yeah. he's been the most effective of the guys they've tried. Well, and that's why he was the guy that they threw out there prior to the injury more often than not. Notice Isaac Yadam didn't come back in the fold until Ryan Lewis went on IR. So I would agree with you. I think that yeah. spells that out. What yeah, else you got for had, us, Joe? Yeah, he had his chances to show something. He really hasn't yet. So, But I was surprised just being cut. Uh, looking ahead to the Eagle game, this is a big game again to set the tone for the rest of the season. And I really think this is a game for where Daniel has to – Set forth and, and and play a little more than wins there. That that uh, you, you know, especially no turnovers and that. If there's a thing you know, everybody the last caller and that they're complaining about Daniel. This is Daniel's first year basically now. Is you know all together. Wentz is what his third year or so. They're talking on the radio show here and today. Is is he going to be around by 2022? Because, you know, they drafted another quarterback. They're unhappy with his turnovers. He's leading the league. And he, he has been inaccurate at times. So uh, him and, and Peterson, they're even talking. Forrest said the other day, they were saying the other day, that maybe they made the wrong choice again, that he would have kept Folds. You know, they said they kept uh, Wentz because of his upside. So his psyche ain't there altogether either. And I said, this is a chance for... Daniel and and Wentz is what his third fourth season here now. Well, he was drafted in sixteen, but remember he got hurt with the torn ACL. Yeah, so. I know, but he got through. So, but he, but he, he, he uh, Daniel, this is really one year he's playing now. About so. Well, no, it's it is truly a second year, but but Joe, I get the point. And to be honest, 
Wentz has been streaky. Now, some of it is obviously because of the lack of continuity, because injuries have forced him in and out of the lineup. He's had a number of different targets to throw to over the course of time as the injuries have mounted to his receivers and his running backs. Whatever the reasons are, Wentz has been inconsistent and streaky. And you're right. The people in Philadelphia, they're complaining more about him than even the New York people are complaining about Daniel Jones in terms of the and fan that's base. That's right. Says, and, and you're right. You're right about that. He he right. has been turning the ball over a lot, not with fumbles necessarily, but with interceptions. Right, and he's leading the league there. Now, uh, what what I I want to say here there too, and I think it was in that last Eagle game where our we were going to go for it. I think it was fourth down, and then we changed our mind and we ran out our our punting team and. Uh, our guy on the end there was, was wide open. Our punter was wondering, should yeah, I Yeah, Valentine was wide open. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I said, I, I, I hope they put it to him that, hey, if you're open, you look at him and that oh. punter and, and give him that choice just to throw it right he to him. He won't be out there this week. Yeah, so you I don't mean, he's no longer on the team, so it's no, sort of but irrelevant. I, all I want to say is if our punters, if that guy's on the end is wide open and there's nobody around like that, uh, he showed he can throw the ball, the punter. I, I hope they give him that option just to throw it to him, you know. Wouldn't you agree? To give well, him I'm that sure, Joe, that they advise Riley Dixon, who's a veteran, that if you see that, then you have free reign yeah. to make the change and appreciate the yeah. phone call. The Thanks problem is your intended target has to be aware of that course. the ball's coming. Yeah. Well, but here's the other thing. I went back. I was listening to what the Eagles had to say about that play, and they were talking about it when uh, Dave Phipp, their special teams coach, and he was explaining they've looked at that very closely, which is not a stunner. And it was a matter of it was a last-minute substitution that the Giants had made, and as a result of that, the Eagles were a little bit caught off guard where they didn't have anybody lining up with Valentine. So I guarantee you that the Eagles are emphasizing that all week long, that that will not happen again. I mean, the one thing you have to understand is you could say the Giants should be aware if that happens again, but who's to say that a defensive team now is going to slip up again to present that opportunity for the Giants too, okay? I would say the chances are very slim that that happens again. You should emphasize it, but you can't expect that the Eagles are going to make a similar mistake and that Riley Dixon would have a passing lane under those circumstances. Let's head back to the phone lines. We check in with Coach Marvin in Delaware. What's happening, Coach? Hey, how you doing, Lance? How you doing, Paul? Marvin, where the hell you been? (laughs) I've been begging. Do you know how many times I've put it on Twitter, and I've begged for you to call in on the show because you have been in exile. I thought, like, witness protection put you away somewhere. You know what? I got to get on Twitter and follow you so I can see those things. But uh, yeah, the pandemic just trying to take care of uh, family. And Are you okay? Like yeah, I'm doing good. Good. I'm doing well, good. God no bless problem. you and yours. Yeah, hopefully you and Lance, your families are doing well, and John and yes, everybody sir. from the yes, show. Yes, they are. We appreciate that. Well. Yeah, um, real quick. Um, the guy that called about uh, um, um, Charlie. Um, Charlie sometimes come up with some good points. I'm not going to. Sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, you ask him. He'll tell you. (laughs) And if he's listening, I'm not disrespecting him. I respect all the fans. But he's not telling us anything we don't know. So um, he he points out the bad points of people. He talks about Daniel. I get frustrated with Daniel. But he never talks really about the good things Daniel has going for himself. Um, The same thing with the offensive line. He, He can point those things out. But when he goes to for the solution, then that's when it gets off the wall, like the BD thing. <laughs> you know, those are off-the-wall thoughts. He doesn't come with anything that has substance to say, okay, then how do you fix it? How do you work that? He doesn't come with those um, with those ideas. He, he can point them out. And as I used to tell my staff, you can point problems to me, but you better bring some solutions, too, if you've got something to say. George Young so, used to say uh, the same thing, Coach Marvin. He would say it all the time. He would say, you know, if, if, if you're going to come at me with those kinds of questions, you better have an idea about the solution. Let's right. put it this way. He's no Allen Iverson, okay? He's not the answer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> all right. So the stuff I had, I had a couple of things here real quick. Um, when they, last week, um, when they came out, um, that first drive, I don't know if y'all noticed, they came out with some pretty good offensive plays, some that I haven't seen them do. Um, but, uh, sometimes when they come out like that, I kind of wonder 
why they show that in the first drive sometimes. Sometimes they'll come out with the first drive, show you things you haven't seen, and they move the ball pretty well. Um, and I always try to figure when I was at the time when I was coaching, I would have those things, but I would always use the term keeping them in our pocket. And I used those plays somewhere along that game where I know I need it because they haven't seen it. I get their eyes looking in one way. I get their mind running in one way. And then that play I had in my pocket, I'm going to give them the same look, but we're going back door. We're doing something to a wrinkle to that play. And I always hold that somewhere in the third, fourth quarter when I know I need it. I need a big play here, and this is the time to call it. And it seems like we don't – I don't know if we do because I don't know how they – how they're they're working their coaching staff as far as play calling. Yeah. But as watching it, I, I like wonder it was beautiful plays the first drive. And I'm like, why are they showing that to them right now? Well coach, you're you're from the that on? you're from the Parcell school because Bill used to hold them yeah. until the second half. Yeah. So I understand exactly right. where you're coming from. I haven't had a chance to privately talk to Jason Garrett because of the pandemic protocols and the rules. But it's my opinion, I've seen them do this on a number of occasions, to break out something like that that's creative early in the game. My hunch is that they feel that if they throw some shock value or some creativity at the beginning, they think probably that the defense won't settle in and say, okay, we know what the Giants are going to do. And you get them questioning things early in the game, and maybe that will throw them off so that then you can get back to what it is that you want to do. That's the only explanation I have. It's probably right. six of one and half a dozen of the other, but I understand where you're coming from. And I understand that theory, what you said they possibly thinking, because you can, because now you put me on my heels like, okay, last time they did this. Right. So we got to be aware they can do it. So, yeah, it could work both ways. But I, I felt in my experience that holding them until I get them where I want them and I'm going to hit him. Yeah, that's the way Bill used to ride him. And sometimes I won't even use the play in games. That game may come two weeks, three weeks later where I need that play. So I'm not showing it on to anybody that's scouting our games. I'm not showing it. I'm showing it only when I know I need this right now. And that's the only reason I bring it out. Um, my other thing. I, I think something connected to that, just real quickly, Coach, is you know this Giants offense has struggled to finish drives overall over the course of the season. Yeah. And for example, they had the Golden Tate passing play. I just looked back against Tampa Bay two weeks ago. That was on their very first possession. I think part of that is, hey, if we could get up early on Tom Brady and the Bucks, give ourselves some momentum, take some pressure off of the defense, just overall the mindset of the team. I think that may have something to do with it. Also, you hear this a lot in the NFL. When you get into your first drive, it's a number of scripted plays that you've been practicing all throughout the week. And sometimes they just want to throw a little creativity in the beginning. And also they feel like they've practiced that a number of times if it is indeed part of a series of scripted plays. Yes, yes. And you're right in, in all of those, Lance. And, and I can understand that. Like, it's, I, I feel it's not a right or wrong way. It's just something different. Sure, you know? sure. And yeah. I see it that way, too, the way you just put it. You, you're trying to jump on them as fast as you can and make them play from behind. And uh, and that's that's fine too. It, it's just I just wondered if they ever gave it a thought to hold it. But the other thing, real quick, I wanted to talk about y'all talking about Peppers and how athletic he is and the things they the way they are using him. And I'm just throwing this at you two, and maybe you and Paul. Um, in the red zone, Peppers uh, did Wildcat in Michigan. He played running back in Michigan, and he did it well. Yeah. Not well enough that they didn't, they didn't want to make him all offensive, but they did it, he did it well enough for him to get offensive plays. Why not think about in the red zone, Peppers playing in the red zone, some type of wildcat. You ain't got to go crazy with it. It's just one of those thoughts of plays, Peppers in the wildcat in the red zone. The only thing I would say to you, Coach, and I think you can appreciate this, you know, the old Vince Lombardi thought is try to execute as well as you can with the base plays that you have rather than getting fancy. And when you look at the Giants, they're next to last in the National Football League at red zone efficiency because the bottom line is they've had enough trouble executing their standard plays without trying to get too exotic. And so that would be my answer to that. Yeah, Yeah, I think the other – I think the other aspect of that, too, is, you know, we were talking about they're using him as a punt return guy. He's playing a lot of snaps on defense. I think the other 
phase of this is, you know, how much do you want to throw on his plate in a given game? How many additional hits do you want to throw his way? And I also yeah. think that with the way Goldman and Alfred Morris are playing right now, and they were using Evan Ingram a little bit in the rushing attack, I think they have enough versatility back there, Coach, where I don't know if throwing in peppers is going to all of a sudden catch everybody off guard. You're right, and you both are right, and I understand that. And the way Paul described it, I did coach that way. Is At the time I was coaching, we, there was no Wildcat going on. So the way I would coach is during the preseason, what I would do, I would tell my team, you're going to play these preseason games until we play the last game. Well, they were scrimmages. Until we play the last scrimmage, I'm gonna play, we're going to play like it's a game. But the first couple that we play – I told him, I'm going to play you with one hand tied behind your back. So there was times that Paul was saying, you know, you're not executing down your your regular place. So how I used to do that is I used to t- I used to walk around and I used to tell the team we're visiting, their front four, which way we're running. I wouldn't tell their coach. I, just, I whisper it to their front four. They're coming your way. Oh, I love the it. The reason I did that is because I wanted my kids to be able to make plays when the other team knows the play. So great, the more great I stuff, can, man. The more we're able to execute. Coach and Marvin, you are so old school. That's why you're my favorite caller. You know that? All right, Coach. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Appreciate the All phone right. call. Stay safe and healthy. Good hearing from you. It's a good way to get your team to react accordingly when uh, the defense is uh, putting in a precarious spot. Well, I mean, Lance, like I say, Lombardi, if you come from the school of Lombardi like I do, it didn't matter if everybody watching television and in the crowd knew what play it was. They were going to telegraph it. They were going to run it. And it was like, we dare you to stop it. You know, you want your guys to execute at such a high level with such gumption and assertiveness that you're going to force your way or will your way to success. The New York Giants at Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, Lance Metal, Paul DeTito with you. Let's head back to the lines. Len is in Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? You're all right, Len. Good. Um, well, we got a division home game coming up. Yeah, you win your division home game, steal one on the road, and you go four-two in the division, and you're on your way to the playoffs. So let's win this. Let's let's win this game. They're going to be a little they, bit they more, than, do that, more than just winning the division. Okay. Keep in mind, yeah. Len. You know, you know, you know there's seven the losses. Division. The Eagles have four. That's Len, a noticeable I, difference. Len, to be fair, I was kind of looking at this this morning. I don't know why I did it, but I looked at the full schedule remaining for each of the division teams. It's my estimation, and I know Bristol did their computer analysis and figured that six and ten is going to win the division. I think seven and nine is going to do it. So if you really want to forecast this out and map it out, if you can find a way for the Giants to get to 7-9, and nine, I think that would do it. Let me, let me just comment. I think you misunderstood where I was going with that. I don't care what the season is, even next season. Let's start this season. Let's win four in the division. I want to go four and two in the division every year. I, I'm not, I wasn't forecasting we're going to make the playoffs. Oh, okay. I'm okay. just saying – Let's win a division home game. If you win your three division home games and you steal one on the road, you go four and two, and you're in a good place. You're in a good place. So we got a chance to add to that. Uh, you know, I started talking about this last week. I'm, I'm not looking at the playoffs. I w- I'm going to measure improvement how we do in the division. Well, you had said in route and to and the and playoffs, and we, so that's why we interpreted we got one, it that we way. We got right? one last week. We got one last week, and we've got to go get this one this week. Hey, I got the keys to succeed. Keys to success on Sunday. I'd like your comments on a couple of these things, if you would. Um, on defense, Paul, you talked about this already a little bit in the you know, early part of the show. Um, first down. We've we, we got to win first down. Uh, I want a lot of second and longs. I, I think the key, the real, the real key, because I think the Eagles are going to come out and do what they did on that Thursday night game on that first series. I think the first series is going to be telling. First series of the first quarter particularly with first downs, they're going to try to run the ball and they're going to run it down our throat. And if you remember that first game, they pushed us aside on that first drive, and it was Kelsey. Best player on the field in that Thursday night game, by the way. Best player on the field was Kelsey. 
He dominated that first series. Dalvin Tomlinson has got to keep this guy under control. I'm looking at that first series in the first quarter as an indication of which way this game is going to go. Um, punish Wentz. Eh, we can fool around with number of sacks. And knock him down ten times. Punish him. When he gets to the fourth quarter, I want him looking for defensive guys. I want him looking for those corners coming off the edge. Knock them down. Knock them down. Hold the tight ends to six receptions. Anything more than that, wow, I think we're in trouble. What do you think about the defensive uh, strategy? Well, I want to give you number four. How about an exorcism? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. You had one. I don't know what day it was, Paul, but you talked about running around the field with garlic. Was that the... What, was that this week? When, or yes, it was. That? It was the other day I told Fiegels to meet me at the 50-yard <laughs> line at 7 a.m. and we'll, we'll spread garlic all over the field and see, see if we can end the hex that yeah, way. There you go. I thought that was, that was pretty funny, Paul. Len, they had funny. 10 hey. quarterback hits on Carson Wentz in the first matchup, and they sacked him three times, and that didn't necessarily do the trick. So, you know, Wentz is a pretty tough-minded quarterback. He's taken a lot of hits this season. I mentioned he's been sacked more than any other quarterback this year, and he's bounced back, as he showed in those last two drives. So, I mean, to me, I look at it more of I think you want to be efficient on first and second down. You don't necessarily have to hit the quarterback, but you want Wentz to have to make conversions of third and nine, third and 12. You know, that's what I'd like to see the Giants try to put Wentz in. That, to me, is more of a challenge than maybe you get a hit or two on him because he's been hit consistently this season. So I don't know if that's going to be that much of an X factor. Okay, but you'll take 10 knockdowns, won't you? Well, of course. Absolutely. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's going to okay, not sign up for that. You, I just, just don't know if you... that's ultimately going to be the winning recipe, I guess is what oh, okay. I'm saying. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't say it was. I said there were three things. Well, you said that On that was defense. part of the keys to the game. Yeah, right? yeah, it was. I mean, it was so, but I didn't I'm, say, not, I'm not misinterpreting Lance, it. Lance, I didn't, <laughs> say, I didn't say that was the key. I, I appreciate your responding to that. I really do. But just, you know, come on. I didn't say that was the key. I said there were three things. Yeah, yeah but Len, but that's what, for- Len, Len, we're, we're getting into minutia. You laid out your three keys to the game. So I'm responding yeah. to one of the keys. How is it me twisting and turning what you said? You said you'd like to see them hit Carson Wentz. I gave you stats from the first matchup. I said I don't know how big of a key that's going to be. I didn't take what you said and, and take it out of context. That was one of your three keys, period. Now, I will say this, Len. I do believe, and you'd have to go back to the game book, and I didn't bring it with me. I believe the Eagles had three pass plays of 30 yards or more. They came up with some really big, deep shots, which the Giants, for the most part this year, have defended incredibly well. But as Philadelphia came roaring back in that game, they got some easy, big, deep shots. And, And that's how they were able to steal the victory. And that's why you want to put him in those spots again, but you want to make sure that you don't give him free reign because John Hightower made one of the catches, Paul, that you brought up. And remember, they're getting Jalen Rager back, who was one of their rookie-wide receivers who has blistering speed. They're getting Goddard back to work the middle of the field, and they're getting Miles Sanders back, who's possible to turn a five-yard pass into a 20-yard game. So they got a lot more weapons that they could work with to convert some of those deeper plays, that to me is why that's the thing to hone in on in a so, game like So this. maybe to twist around Len's point, yeah, it'd be great to sack Wentz three times and hit him ten times, but how about the guys making the plays on the back end of the secondary? I mean, even the winning touchdown catch. You remember yeah. when Scott caught that ball? Peppers was right there, but he had turned the wrong way, and as a result, when he <laughs> stuck his hand up, he wasn't uh, able to defend the pass. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, make yeah, the play right. on the back end of the secondary yeah. so that these yeah. guys can't do what they do. Yeah, okay. Can I move to offense? you got time for just a quick, Real quick, quick real quick. Line. Okay, yeah, real, real quick. quick on offense. Real quick, the run game is key. Run the ball inside the tackles, power game. Let's just, that's our best. Just power game, run the game. And second, uh, red zone offense. I think you guys have talked about that. We've we got to get in the end zone. Um, this is, I think it was last week I said the key in these, for me, in, in these next three division games, starting with Washington, was Evan Ingram. I wanted 18 catches and three touchdowns. Ingram's the guy in the red zone we got to be looking at. Um, let's, let's make a play, but red zone offense. And two turnovers on special teams. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. I appreciate it. All right, Len. Appreciate the phone call.
Well, I don't know if you're going to get two turnovers on special teams if that's going to be something that well, you're looking Well, if Wally for. Henry is playing in the game, they will. <laughs> well, yeah. So, once again, you may want to get garlic and more stuff out in order to get oh, that production-wise. Yeah. Well, Evan Ingram, remember, he had a, a great grab uh, against Washington, and that is certainly a guy that I think you want to target in the red zone. There's no doubt about it. The one thing, though, that is related to Evan Ingram, by the way, they are also getting back the Eagles' TJ Edwards in the mix. He did not play the first Giants game. That's their middle linebacker, undrafted kid out of Wisconsin who's played very well, and he has been a guy that has done a little bit of everything for them. So their coverage in the middle of the field, the reason why I bring that up is going to be critical for the Eagles because of Evan Engler's presence. And also, remember, that was the game, Paul, where Daniel Jones had the huge run. And Jim Schwartz, when he was talking to reporters this week, said, yeah, We've got to make sure that our eyes are much better set and our positioning in terms of gap. And I think Edwards helps them in that department. So that's another chess piece now that Philadelphia has to toy with that they did not have to them at their accessibility with respect to the first matchup. I'll say this, Lance. Rather than give you keys that have to be done, I'll just give you one key that the Giants have to avoid. Because if they don't run the ball well, I don't think they win this game. I honestly don't. I think the Giants must be balanced and run the ball well. And if they can't do that, it's going to be very difficult for them to come out victorious. Well, Daniel Jones threw the ball 34 times against Washington. And I don't think he should be throwing it 35 to 40 times this weekend. I agree with you 100%. This is not the game you want to put the ball in the air. Now, granted, the Eagles only have three interceptions, so they haven't been extremely opportunistic. But you've got a very strong front that Philadelphia showcases that could get after the quarterback. All it takes is the quarterback drops back, one hit, ball goes up awkwardly, and then you allow your secondary members to make a play. So I agree with you. I think they need to continue their success on the ground, which has been certainly attractive over the last four games. And you also want a 50-50 balance. Or ideally, you want the 2-to-1 ratio in favor of the run. That may be asking for a lot. But you want Daniel Jones to be throwing the ball in that 25-27 to volume, I would say. Paul, just yeah, under 30. I'm with you. That, to me, makes the most sense. All right, let's head back to the lines. Charlie's at Portland, Maine, of course, because we brought his name up 17 million times. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't even going to call in, so there you go. Uh-oh. Well, that's, just why I blame, that's why I blame the rest of the callers. See, we didn't even bring you up. It was the first caller brought your name up, and then in the back of my mind, I'm saying, this is going to be the worst because now he's going to want to call Lance, in. Lance, he just <laughs> ruined your day. Yeah. Well, I mean, I knew that he was going to come. The minute the first caller brought him up, I said, we're in trouble. I knew it. And I'd like to thank Dan, very astute Giant fan out there. Absolutely. Thank Hopefully you, you'll add him to the payroll. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Charlie, what do you got hey. for us? We're, we're out of time okay. here. Couple, yeah, a couple things. One thing is, Lance, when you're trying to get on the phone and you're trying to call, I can't listen to the show because I'm using my cell phone. So that's why I don't hear every word you say. But I swear I go back to the archives to make sure I hear everything that you said. Well, how is it okay? that you can't hear? Wait a minute. I don't understand how you can't hear the show if you're on your cell phone. If we put you on hold, you just listen through the phone. Oh, no, no. I'm, while I'm dialing in, it takes a while to get on. See, that's, you don't just get right on automatically. you got to keep dialing. Well, that means that our technology done. is effective to make sure you can't go through. <laughs> so I would say that I am going to commend our entire team of individuals. We've been working through the algorithms for years. Finally, it's that's paying right. off. That's good news. But somehow, That's not, not a legitimate excuse. On, That's right? just our effectiveness. Okay, okay go Charlie. ahead. What's excuse number two? All right. And the other thing, you tell me the difference between Fleming and Will Beatty. Fleming is a veteran. In fact, he's never started a game in his life. And Will Beatty actually That's is not a true. Hold started. on, Charlie. Now, see, now you went into the, the, the okay, false sorts again. Okay, he started two games. He started three games, two games. Will Beatty was a two-time Super Bowl champ, and he started many, many, many Wait, games. Wait, Fleming started two or three games? Fleming has started 27 games. How about that? You're yeah, just not, nine I'm times off. I'm not sure where you're getting these numbers from, Charlie. Those numbers Charlie. are close. Come yeah. on. Right. You can't. What? Don't pull stuff so, out of the clouds. That's not fair. Okay, what I'm trying to say is Fleming and Beatty are the same. It's not like we're starting Pert and, and Fleming is on the bench. So you're saying that I don't come up with something? Well, Will Beatty's is just as good, if not better, than Fleming. They Will Beatty's 35 years old and hasn't played since 17, and Cameron Fleming is 28. So that's a bit ridiculous so, of a statement and, and, to make and that quite, And quite honestly, I'd like to know where you got a second Super Bowl title for him. He wasn't on the 0-17. 
He was he got it from Philadelphia, if you remember. When oh, Philly won it, God. he was on that team. Yeah, and Eddie oh. Curry, and he, he Eddie played, Curry won played, a title with the he Miami played, Heat. Charlie, Eddie he Curry won a title game, with the Miami Heat, okay? No, and he, he did the same thing as Will Beaton. He played one game. Hey, Phil Simms got two Super Bowls, right? Yeah, but he played 10 he games a year. Phil Simms played that season. Oh, my God. Come on, <laughs> Charlie. Oh, my God. There's the Twilight Zone all over again. As Fleming Charlie, 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 Charlie. Please, would you please... Get rid of <laughs> get rid of the stuff that destroys all of your credibility and just get to the meat and potatoes, okay? Please do yourself a favor. We barely Paul, served the first you. course with him. Hey, Go look, ahead. garlic is not going to work. You need to burn sage. That's what you need to burn. <laughs> sage is the cleanser. No, we do, will, they just need to rub. They need to rub some lotion on their hands, according to you, with leaves, <laughs> and that should do the trick too. Yeah. No, no, hey. Zen. It's the old Zen thing with sage. You got to look it up, Lance. Thank you, guys. Take care. Uh, thank, thank you, Charlie. Charlie. We, we Lance, can't thank you enough. Lance, yeah. I, got, I got an even better idea. Why don't we bring Charlie out for the coin toss? The Eagles will run in the other direction because I don't think they want any part of him either. That's true. Yeah. They'll just forfeit as a result of his presence, and that may be the best way for uh, the Giants to solve the riddle, uh, according to uh, Charlie. Oh, he oh, is entertaining, man. though. Thank you, thank you for the laugh, Charlie. We appreciate yeah. it. I'm, I'm glad we went all out to uh, make sure we, that we were able to squeeze him into the program. Well, that is going to wrap things up for us here during an eventful Wednesday edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. As today's episode, as always, is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere as well as Giants.com slash podcast. And we will be back up and running with Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow at noon Eastern. Phil Sims will be joining the program, so stay tuned for that. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Always stay locked to Giants.com for the latest. We'll speak to you tomorrow. Have a good one.